good evening once again. I invite you to take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Isaiah, chapter number 53. We began looking at this last week. We actually looked at uh, the closing verses of Isaiah 52 as they serve as kind of an introduction to Isaiah 53. This evening we'll be in verses 1 through 5 of Isaiah 53. When you find your place, if you're able, let's stand so we honor the reading of God's Word. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 1. And the Word of God says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for allowing us to come together tonight and hear your word. And so, Father, as we are gathered, your word has been read. And, Father, I just ask, Lord, that you give me the words to say, uh, Lord, to preach this passage as it needs to be preached and as clearly as it needs to be understood. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our failures. Lord God, I ask that you bless this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I've titled this evening's message, The Unbelievable Gospel. The Unbelievable Gospel. Last week we uh, looked and we talked about how the verses 13 through 15 of Isaiah 53 uh was really a revelation to the people of Israel. You see, the Messiah was coming. The Messiah was going to come and deliver Israel. That, that's what the, all of Israel had always thought and always hoped for, that one day the Messiah will come. And when the Messiah came, they saw him and they rejected him. In the closing verses of Isaiah 52 He's referred to as a servant. The servant, it says, will be exalted, extolled, and be very high. And it says in verse number 14, it's a picture of the crucifixion that he endured. As it says, as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred, more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. And then in verse 15, it spoke of his... Blood that is shed, so shall he sprinkle many nations. It says the kings shall shut their mouths at him, won't have anything to say, because they will be face to face with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Isaiah 53 is a passage, I mentioned this last week as well, that whenever the readings are done in the synagogues and for Jews that 
they will have their annual read or uh, weekly readings, and they read uh, all the way through the Old Testament scriptures. But when they come to Isaiah 52, they always come and they stop at Isaiah 52, verse 12. And then the next week, you would think they would pick up with verse 13 or chapter 53, but they completely skip over that and they go to Isaiah 54. The Jews have no idea, have no clear teaching as to what Isaiah 53 is about. Some will say that it's the Messiah, but they will say that it's David coming back. Others will say that this is a reference to Israel being brought back as a nation, rising up once again. But it's easy to see that as you read this verse that this is speaking of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his crucifixion and death, burial, and resurrection. And then in Isaiah 53 in the verse number 1, he asked these questions. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? These are two questions that are asked in verse number 1. The first question is that of who has believed our report. In other words, who's believed us? Has anyone heard the message and has actually believed what we have said? It speaks of a rejection of the message of the gospel. And of course, this is uh, no different. Uh, John uses this verse in, uh, in writing about Jesus in, in his day. And in John chapter number 12, verse number 37, it, it says this. John chapter 12, verse 37, says, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? John used that in reference to the message that Jesus had coming and proclaiming the gospel. And he says they haven't believed Jesus, but have they believed any of the other prophets? No, it says in Matthew 5, 12 that the prophets were persecuted. You see, when the true man of God stands and preaches the true word of God, nobody wants to hear it, do they? Time and time again, the word of God is rejected it was rejected by the Jews but then also who has believed our report have the Jews believed it no so the, per the prophets were persecuted the prophets were killed by the Jews because of their message of God's word and preaching the gospel what about the Gentiles the message has went out to the Gentiles. Would, would Surely the Gentiles would reject it. And I'll say this. Some of the Gentiles have accepted it. But then some haven't. Some look at the gospel as mere nonsense. If you look, we have been referencing this verse a lot, it seems lately. But it still is powerful. Isaiah, or sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 of the message and 
the preaching of the cross, the preaching of the gospel. In 118 of 1 Corinthians, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we which but we preach Christ crucified. Listen, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. The gospel to the unregenerate heart, whether Jew or Gentile will always be foolishness. And in the eyes of the world, Christians, for believing the gospel, will always be foolish. There's another question that's asked in verse number one. It says, To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord is a reference to the power of God, the gospel. Well, we know that according to Romans chapter 1, the message of the cross, the gospel, went out to the Jew first. The Jews were uh, committed to the, the, had been, had the oracles of God committed to them. And it was fitting that the message of the gospel go out to the Jews first. But when the Jews heard this, they rejected it. When the Jews saw Jesus, they rejected him. But then, after the Jews heard it, it went out to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles heard it, and some believed, some rejected. But who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I submit to you this morning, the arm of the Lord, the power of the Lord, which is the gospel, has been revealed to Jew and Gentile alike. One of my favorite passages in Isaiah, besides Isaiah 53, is just a few chapters over. In Isaiah chapter 59, we have a reference to the arm of the Lord or to the hand of the Lord. It says in Isaiah 59, behold, in verse number one, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. You see, anybody, if they simply turn to Jesus Christ in faith, can be saved. The hands, the Lord of the the hands, Lord is or the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. So why are people rejecting the gospel? Why are people uh, not wanting to be saved? You would think with the message as wonderful that we know the gospel is. Why would the world reject Isaiah fifty nine verse two? But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. It's because of sin, it's because of the hardness of the heart that people reject the gospel. The Bible says they love their sins. They love the darkness rather than the light. 
to many, this gospel is unbelievable. But why is it unbelievable? The next few verses after that will tell us why. First of all, let's look at the incarnation in verse number 2. When I speak of the incarnation, I'm speaking of Jesus Christ coming down to earth, God being made flesh. Verse number 2 says, He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. A tender plant, a root out of dry ground. Tender plant speaks of one that's not much to look at, a sapling, if you will. This speaks of his humble beginnings. How is Jesus Christ brought into this world? God made flesh. We think about God, we think about his majesty, we think about his greatness and his wonder. To the carnal mind, God coming down to earth should be met with the same uh, fanfare and accolades that the President of the United States would have coming into a specific city. With the parades and the ticker tape and, and the and the marching bands, all this uh, and all these things announcing, here comes the president or uh, the or here comes a king, here comes this great and wonderful person. But how did Jesus Christ, God in flesh, come to this earth? He was born in a manger in Bethlehem. He was born in one of the lowliest places. A feeding trough. He grew up in a place called Nazareth, which was looked down upon. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He was a carpenter's son. So he had some very humble beginnings in this earth. He even would tell his disciples. They said, can we come out, come with you? And he said, you want to come after me? He said, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests. He said, but the Son of Man don't even have a place to lay his head. Look what it says next about him. It says, as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. dry ground you know if this plant that's what the picture is look look at the wording that's used as a tender plant a root out of dry ground then he goes on and says he has no form nor comeliness and when we shall see him there's no beauty that we should desire him the the picture is that of a a plant or a flower that's not being cared for not being pampered If it had been cared for, the ground would not be dry. It would be well watered. So Jesus in his incarnation came with some humble beginnings. But yet he, he appeared as one that was uncared for. In fact, it goes on and he says, He hath no form nor comeliness. 
that when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's undesirable. From the looks of him, there's nothing spectacular about him. I mean, have you ever tried to go and buy some flowers for your wife or loved one? What do you do? You go in there and you look for the... Let me word this correctly because I might... I might uh, reveal something about myself. (laughs) You go and you look for the ones that are discounted the most, that are wilting... (laughs) That, that they, you know, that they're, they're starting to change colors. You know, they go from being a beautiful red or a beautiful bright yellow or, or whatever kind of color they might be. And, but yet now they're starting to turn brown. And instead of being, being full and beautiful, that now they're kind of starting to wilt. Or, are those the ones that you might go and look for? Not if you want to sleep in the bed this night. <laughs> No, you go and you look for the ones that are that are beautiful, that that have uh, all the colors of the rainbow, and and uh, and and if you really want to make some points that that are a little expensive, <laughs> a bouquet of roses might come to mind. You don't go and you don't look for the undesirable plants. You want those that have some beauty to them. You say those are the ones that we want. But see, when people looked at Jesus and they saw his humble beginnings, they saw his background, there was nothing spectacular about him. And he comes and it's announced that he's the Messiah. They said, no, we don't want that. We don't want that. nothing spectacular about him that's what we saw in his incarnation he didn't look like a king he didn't act like a king he especially didn't act like god in flesh hanging around with those other undesirables but that's the way the world saw him as undesirable And so when they saw him as undesirable in his incarnation, this led to his rejection. If you're taking notes, that's his incarnation and now his rejection in verse number three. It says he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Look at the words used for his rejection. It says he is despised and rejected of men. The, uh, to, to be despised and rejected means that, that he was lacking. He didn't have the qualities that they thought that he should have. And by the way, isn't that usually how it always is? When we think somebody should behave a certain way, that, or when we think God should do a certain thing, that we come to realize his ways are not our ways. No doubt if man could have chose the way the Messiah would come into the world, he would have had all that fanfare and the way that he looked would have been a handsome and attractive man. 
that the ladies might swoon over and all the other men wanted to be. But when they saw Jesus, they didn't have that. Here's your typical, average, maybe even less than average looking Jew. And because of that, they despised him and they rejected him. John 1.11 says he came into his own and his own received him not. It says he was a man of sorrows in verse 3. It was, could speak of sorrow of heart. Wouldn't that describe Jesus? I mean, after all, he's, he's come into his own, his own people, Israel. His chosen nation. Preaching salvation. But yet they pushed him away. How would that make you feel if your own child said, I don't want anything to do with you? So they rejected him. He, he was sorrowful in his heart. But then also this could come speak of a, a sorrow, uh, of a, a pain from torment. Emotional and physical torment he went through. The word grief used in verse 3, acquainted with grief, speaks of anxiety. Look at, look at the way it's described. You say, Jesus... Face anxiety in his humanity, he did. But And look at how much anxiety and, and grief he was under in the book of Matthew, chapter 26. In Matthew, chapter 26, and verses number 36 and following, Matthew 26, verse 36, says... Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be very sor or to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my father. If it be possible, let this pass, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. I'll look over a couple of books in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 22, verse number 39. Luke 22, verse number 39. says, and he came out and went as he wants to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. Luke 22, verse 39. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye not, or pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Talk about the anguish. Talk about the agony, the anxiety, the pressure that Jesus was under. No wonder he's described as a man that's uh, uh, sorrowful and acquainted with grief. 
He's been rejected by his people and he is about to go and die for the sins of the world. A, a people that has rejected him. It says, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. In other words, he was one that didn't even deserve to be looked at. Don't even look at him. He's not worth our time. We despised him not. Or we just, he was despised and we esteemed him not. It says we looked at him and determined he's from being born in a manger. Spent some time in Nazareth. Raised in Galilee. A carpenter's son. Nothing spectacular about him. Don't even bother paying him any attention. He's not worth our time. That's how he was rejected by the world. And the result of his rejection is his execution. Found in verses 4 through 5. We esteemed him not. We didn't want anything to do with him. But now Isaiah turns and he's saying now he says after he was despised and we received him not he says surely now he knows for a fact he was rejected yet surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of God and afflicted it's almost now that he's kind of turned it around and he's saying that Jesus was a man of, of sorrows and a man of grief but the reason he was a man of sorrows and a man of grief is because that we as human beings are men of sorrows and men of grief. We are sorrowful. We are grieving people. And Jesus Christ took on flesh to endure the same things that we endured. Surely he has borne our griefs. Notice the pronouns used, the uh, uh Possessive pronouns. He has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Everything that he endured was for us. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. It says, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. In other words, what he's getting at is... The world looked at Jesus and all the anguish and the stuff that he went through and the, the crucifixion on the cross and the people looked and they said, he's getting what he deserves. He's smitten of God. We esteemed him smitten of God and afflicted. We said it's his fault, his reason. He, God is punishing him for the things that he has said and done. But really it was not him. That deserved what he got. It was us. That deserves what he got and more. His execution was that of a substitution. He took our griefs. He took our sorrows. Look at verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He carried our sins as the scapegoat in Leviticus 16. 
carried the sins of the nation. He carried upon himself our sins. And in carrying upon our sins, he took our punishment. Notice the words, verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. Wounded. He was bruised for our iniquity. The word wounded means literally means pierced. And the Jewish uh, scholars say that this was one of the strongest words that can be used. And it literally means to be pierced to death. And that's just what happened. As he lay on, hanging on the cross, he had his hands and his feet pierced with those huge nails. Pierced through the side with the sword. The word bruised means to be brutally beaten. That happened with the Roman soldiers as they would pluck his beard out and punch his face. The word chastisement simply means punishment. It says the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes, referring to the whipping that he took at the hands of the Roman government. That cat of nine tails that we talked about last week, having the very flesh ripped off of him. He was wounded. He was bruised. He was chastised. He endured stripes. But why? Why would he endure these things? He did it for us. He did it for our transgressions, our iniquities, our peace, so that we could have peace with God. And it says, with his stripes, we are healed. That's not referring to a physical, uh, or that's not referring to uh, healing as uh, being healed from sickness. Was referring to a spiritual healing that only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ could make. It was all for our benefit, our for all for our salvation. Romans chapter number five. Verse number one says, therefore, being justified by faith, listen, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse number eight, but God commends his love toward us and that, listen, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what our passage is speaking of, summarized in one or two verses. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died so that our sins could be forgiven. We'd have peace with God. But when people looked at him and they saw him dangling on the cross, 
They still mocked. They still ridiculed. They still said, hey, he believes in God, let God save him. Don't we still hear those mocking words today from people when Christians might go through something? They say, hey, you believe in God, let God handle that. Or where is God in this situation? But Jesus Christ took all these things for the salvation of the world. That's why the world, when they looked and they saw everything that Jesus went through, the world said, we just can't believe that. One man dying in the place of people that rejected him. By the way, that is true. Jesus Christ died even for those that bore the whips and bore the nails themselves. He endured all of it for anybody that would turn to him in faith and say, Lord, forgive me. It was our sins that put him on the cross. Isn't it good to know that Jesus Christ doesn't hold grudges? I mean, if somebody does us wrong, uh, a lot of times that we'll, we'll, they'll come, they might come to us and, and uh, ask for forgiveness. And, and we might say, yeah, we forgive you, but yet we'll really hold on to a grudge inside of our hearts. Jesus Christ doesn't do that. When he says he forgives you, he forgives you. There's no grudge bearing with Jesus. He took on the sins of the world. And all we have to do was to just come to him by faith and say, Lord, forgive me. And he forgives us, wipes our sin debt clean. By faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. If any boasting should be done, it should be done in Jesus Christ who died for our sins. This evening, I hope you've come to that point where you have believed the gospel. If not, it's easy to see how through a carnal mind and fleshly thoughts that this message of Jesus Christ is unbelievable. But as though as unbelievable as it may sound, it is true that somebody loved this sin-stricken Grief ridden world so much that he died in the place of them. So we stand to our feet. I pray that you let the Spirit work in your heart as he sees fit. Pray with me as we have our time of response. Thank you for joining us for our broadcast. I hope you'll join us again next time with Rick Clark Ministries.